Good evening. I'm going to ask you tonight to uh, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and uh, we'll read from the start of the chapter and we're going to read all the way down to verse 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God for God is in heaven and thou upon the earth therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou should vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. Let's pray and we'll commit our time to the Lord. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're thankful, Lord, that we could uh, be here tonight. We're thankful that we can uh, know you and that we can come and we can seek the counsel of your word. I do ask, Lord, that you would help your word to speak clearly to us tonight. Um, help us, uh, Lord, to identify our relationship with you and help us to see how we might uh, cleanse that relationship. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we began to see last time, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The preacher, the one uh, who wrote this book, which we presume to be Solomon, he warned people to worship vigilantly. God cares how we worship and last time we had a look at this passage we saw that that needs to be reflected in the way that we approach the house of God when we come here we need to have a fearful foot that is we need to come here to hear from God more than we come here to um, give other people our graces we need to come here with a measured mouth that is that he is in heaven we are upon the earth therefore let our words be economical if we can put it that way uh, don't Fill out your prayers with vague sort of repetitions. Don't make uh, loose statements when you're praying before God, but remember that somebody is listening to your prayers. And so let your worship be thoughtful. And tonight we're going to have a look at the third way that we can make sure that our worship is of the right kind or that our worship is thoughtful. And that tonight is having a trustworthy tongue. Really pertains to the making of vows, as I'm sure you picked up as we were reading through our first reading. Let's have a look over at Deuteronomy chapter 23, and we'll see that this is something that is not just Solomon's doing, but it's something that was there in the law of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 23, and we're going to read verses 21 through to 23. Deuteronomy 23, 21. 
When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. Very similar words, aren't they? Verse 22, But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform, even a freewill offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. Deuteronomy 23 reveals to us that a vow is something that we might class as a free will offering. It's not something that's obliged under the law of Moses. It's not something that God compels us to do. But a free will offering is something that we decide to do for God after being motivated by his spirit, by his love, whatever it might be. It is something over and above that which is required. A farmer may have said, Lord, if you give me a good season this year, I'll double my free will offering when I make the first harvest at first fruits. We know that there was a vow like this for one of the famous Bible characters just before his birth over in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's have a look there. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 9 to 11. First Samuel chapter 1 and verse 9 we know that Hannah was unable to have children and it was upsetting to her and after a particularly upsetting occurrence we read in First Samuel chapter 1 and verse 9 so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. Hannah promised the Lord that if he would give to her a son, then when that son was born, she was going to promise him back to the Lord. And when he was born, she was going to dedicate him as a Nazarite to serve in the temple. And that's what it means that no razor should come upon his head. And so Samuel went and served in the tabernacle with Eli the priest when he was born. Um, his mother made a vow and his mother kept her vow. If you're a mother here today, you imagine that vow might have been a difficult one to keep. And yet Hannah recognized that this was a thing that was good for both God and good for Samuel. And she did keep the vow that she had made unto the Lord. Now, lest we should think that these things are only in the Old Testament, let's have a look over at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, we read, I'm just going to read one verse. I know that there's a context surrounding this, but Acts chapter 18 and verse 18 shows to us the reality of the practice. <clears throat> Acts 18, 18, and Paul after this tarried there yet a good while and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow. You see, someone 
here. <laughs> There's a bit of debate about whether it's Paul or Aquila. I'll have a chat with Pastor Mitchell about that afterwards. I'm sure he's studied this out. Someone in this verse, and many people believe it was Paul, had a vow before the Lord. And as a result of that vow that they had before the Lord, they, sh- they shaved their head. And I think this really illustrates to us the nature of vows. Hannah made a vow before the Lord, and her vow was that no razor should ever come upon his head. Uh, the person here in Acts chapter 18 and verse 18 made a vow, and that was to shave their head <laughs> and to let it grow. And that's the nature of vows. Sometimes a person will vow one thing, sometimes a person will vow another thing. There really is no set rhyme or reason as to what a person should vow. It's a free will offering, an open promise that a person might make unto the Lord. And that's the way that I want to look at it tonight. Um, Not particularly under the, the law, the mosaic law umbrella of vows, but more under the idea of promises, because that's really what a vow was. Have you ever made a promise to the Lord? A promise to the Lord. I know that some of you have made vows during your time in TOFs as a young person. You've been convicted about something. You've understood that that's what the Lord wanted you to do. And you have made a promise, Lord, I'm going to get this right in my life. That's a vow. Perhaps you were at church and you heard a message preached and you were convicted about something that you heard in the message and then afterwards you sat in your seat and as you were praying after the service, you said, Lord, I need to get this right. I'm going to do this. It's a vow. It's a promise. Perhaps you were in a time of trouble in your life and you were pressed and perhaps you made what we could call a conditional vow like Hannah made before the Lord. Lord, if you give me this money that I need to get out of this situation, I'll give half of it to you. Lord, if you do this, I'll do this in return. These are vows, and I think we all understand that we make these vows sometimes when we're under conviction of the Lord promises to do something that the Lord has called us to do. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 warns us to take these promises seriously. Consider these things that we say to be a promise between us and the Lord. In Paul's or Aquilus' case, whatever the case may have been, he sheared his head and then he let that hair grow until the vow was performed. The idea was that there's a time limit placed on this. I shave my head because I've got a vow and I need to keep it before it grows too long. (laughs) This is something that I need to do quickly. Now, the Christian is not under the ceremonial law. I hope you've heard that before tonight. (laughs) We're not under the law. But it is entirely reasonable to expect that even Christians in the New Testament should have to keep their word before God. Just because we're in the New Testament doesn't mean that we can exaggerate what we're planning on doing before the Lord, especially when we're speaking to God. And so Solomon has some advice for us when making vows, and it's something we should take quite seriously. The first 
piece of advice that he's got for us is to defer not. Defer not. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. This is a verse that needs very little explanation. It's very straightforward, isn't it? When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer or delay not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Don't put off the performing of the thing that you have promised. Don't put it off. God knows that we might forget. Uh, sometimes we know that we might forget, but we'll get to that in just a moment. The best time to fulfill a promise is straight away. It's the best way that we can do it. If we have been led of the Lord to promise something, then we ought to straight away do it. <laughs> and that vow may um, by nature require a certain amount of time until we see that person another time, until the next paycheck comes in, until the Lord blesses us in some way. But once we make that promise and we have the capacity to do it, we ought to do it straight away. It is a good thing to be convicted when the Lord speaks to us, when we see the opportunity to show Christian love to someone. It's a great thing to be convicted, to be motivated. That's wonderful. It's the evidence of a soft heart. It's great to want to take action. That's a great thing. But we must understand that making a decision for the Lord is not the thing that pleases him. And this is something that has been made abundantly clear to us through the youth camp ministry. Making a promise to the Lord is not the thing that pleases him. It's the doing of the promise. That's what pleases him. You can promise the same, things 50 times, so the same thing 50 times over and never do it. And you've never changed. <laughs> sure, you've attested that the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart and that's a good thing. But it's in the doing that we find blessing. And God doesn't take pleasure in the promise alone. I think James chapter 1 is a great place to go for this. Let's have a look. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Very familiar words about what we are to do when the word speaks to us. James chapter 1 and verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that is a reference to the scriptures, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. It's not enough for us to hear the word of God and to understand it, to know exactly what God wants us to do. It's not even enough to have an intention to do the right thing. I remember my year two teacher used to have a chart on the wall and there were two parts to that chart. Uh, he had a title and the title was The Gunners and the Doers. The gunners and the doers. And those people who got stickers on that chart were the people who did, not the people who were just gonna do. 
They were the people who actually got the jobs done. And it's the same with God. With God, it's the doer that is blessed. Not just the gunner, but the doer. That's the person who is blessed. That's what God says there in verse 25. The doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so if it's in the doing that we are blessed, we shouldn't delay in doing the things that we've promised to God. Sure, a promise may be a good first step, but we haven't got the blessing yet. The blessing is in the actual performing of the thing that we have promised to do. And if we delay, we might forget. And if we forget, we miss entirely the blessing of doing. Entirely. Now that's an optimistic view of don't delay. Here's a more cynical one. Delaying to do what we have promised the Lord that we are going to do is a sneaky tactic in avoiding a vow. Because like God, we understand that we forget things too. And if we can manage to put things off that we have promised the Lord for long enough, and then we happen to forget them, then hey, the Lord surely can't hold us accountable for that. I'm not liable for forgetting. That's something that happens to everybody. Well, I would contest that that's not true. We are liable if we had the chance to perform and we let it go without doing it. We had the opportunity to fulfill a vow and we delayed. And so the encouragement of the preacher here is don't delay keeping your promises. You might forget and miss out on the blessing of doing and don't delay because it might give you the opportunity to think it's not important enough. I'll just leave it. Keep the vow that the Lord prompted you to make. Send the money, visit the person, write the letter, do the ministry, surrender the temptation, whatever it might be. It could be anything. Shave the head, don't shave the head. <laughs> do what you've promised the Lord. Do something to help you remember, perhaps. I'm not going to encourage you to shave your head in order to keep your vow. But do what you need to in order to keep your promises before God. So delay not. That's the preacher's first bit of advice. The second bit of advice is that if we can't hold to that bit of not delaying, the second bit of advice is vow not. Vow not. After holding a promise that we've made to God in our minds for a while and not doing anything about it for a while, the question might arise in our minds, why should I have to do this? It's not written down in the word anywhere that I should have to do this. Why do I have to? Maybe I shouldn't have to. Maybe it's in fact wiser for me not to do it. We're forgetting the nature of a vow. A vow is a free will offering. A vow is something that is not expected of us. That's why it's free will. Something we choose to do. Solomon's advice to us is in verse 5, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. While it's true that we didn't have to make a vow, we didn't have to make a promise to the Lord to do a certain thing or else that's not particularly written in God's word. While it's true that we didn't have to make that commitment, once we've made the commitment, we are obliged. Why? Because we're obliged to keep our word. And that is in the scriptures. That is something that God tells us we must do. 
No longer is it a possible action. Now it's an essential action. I need to do what I've promised to the Lord that I told him I would do. You didn't have to vow, but you have to keep your word. Now, a famous instance that's quite similar to this is over in Acts chapter 5. Let's have a look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? And then he says in verse 4, which really reflects the nature that this was a free will offering. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Ananias and Sapphira here in the early church, they did not have to sell their property. This was not a scriptural imperative. They didn't have to follow along with the example of other people who were doing the same. But... They had to keep their word. Once they sold the land and once they had the price of the land, they had to do what they pretended they were doing. They had to be honest, which is ultimately what the Lord holds them accountable for. And the consequences for that were dire. <laughs> they didn't have to sell their property, but they had to keep their word. And the message from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is to pay what you have already promised. If you've got an outstanding promise to the Lord, then get it right. Make sure that promise is settled. Show the Lord that you will fulfill those things that you have promised to him. But the message of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and especially in verse 4 that we've just read, is equally next time... Don't make such a foolish promise. Do what you've promised, but next time, don't be so quick to make that promise. Because you have to pay it. It's <laughs> the point. Charles Bridges, an old preacher, he had this to say. And I quote, A solemn engagement advisedly made with God is a transaction needing much prayer and consideration. It should rest on the clear warrant of God's word. It should concern a matter really important, suitable and attainable. It should be so limited as to open a way for disentanglement under unforeseen contingencies or altered circumstances. A promise should be made so that it can be kept with near certainty. Now, the Lord warns us that, don't, uh, that we aren't to assume what's going to happen tomorrow. If I say, Lord, I'm going to preach the gospel every day for the next year and the Lord comes back tomorrow, that's not my fault. <laughs> I can't see what's going to happen tomorrow, but I should make my promises 
so that if something unexpected happens, I can still keep them before God. That's how serious our promises are before the Lord. This is consistent with the idea of watching our words when we pray before the Lord. Remember those things that we read about in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2. We'll read that verse again. It says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Promise to God is not a light matter. Don't just throw them left, right, and center because make sure you can pay them left, right, and center. We have to take them seriously when we say things to the Lord. It is better not to make one than to make it and break it. It's better just not to make a promise at all. Promises might be made with good intentions. Promises might be made with godly motivation, but a promise that is broken which was made with good intentions, is worse than no promise at all. So delay not, vow not. Thirdly, Solomon says, sin not. He really shows us how serious this is. Verse 6. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? Verse 6 tells us that broken vows cause us to sin before the Lord. Uh, this action is something that God considers to be sin, not just uh, inadvisable, <laughs> but sinful. And the way he explains it is like this, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. And what he's saying is the mouth causes the flesh to sin because if the mouth had remained silent, what the flesh did wouldn't have been a sin. So if the mouth had never made a promise in the first place, then what we did wouldn't have been a sin because we're only going against what we promised. And this is the nature of a free will offering. It's not something that's sinful by itself, but once we promise, if we break that promise, it becomes a problem, it becomes sin. It's the breaking of our word with God that becomes the sinful practice. For instance, we may come to church and we may have a visiting missionary come and they might show us the mission field where they're ministering and we might see that there's a great need in that place and we might see that in that place they've got far less than what I've got in my place and so I decide that I'm going to give to the Lord. I'm going to give this much to missions. Now, our tithe is not a free will offering. It's not what we're talking about. The tithe is the responsibility that I have before the Lord to give of what he has given me. And that's not over and above. That's just my duty before the Lord. I should give that all the time. That's something we do each week. But this is extra. This is something that I've seen, which is a, a real need. And I've decided that I'm going to give extra. Now, as the week progresses, I find that there are other demands that are placed upon my bank account as the nature of bank accounts is and I decide that it would be wiser not to give as much as I thought that I was going to give before and instead rather than saying Lord I'm going to give $200 I say Lord I can really only afford 100 so that's what I'll give I'm sure you understand perhaps it is wise to not give as much as you had promised 
But what of your promise to God? What of those words that you spake to the Lord in prayer, which now you're going back on? Isn't that a serious thing? Isn't God listening from heaven when we pray? Aren't we speaking directly to our father and our friend in prayer? Going back then on the thing that we promised, certainly that's a serious offence. Now, it wouldn't have been a serious offence if you'd have kept your mouth closed and said, Lord, this is a worthy need and I'll give towards it. But if you have given God your word, then your flesh sins by not keeping it. That's what Solomon's telling us. And so the moral of the story for this portion is don't make the promise unless you're sure that you can keep it. Take seriously what you say to God because when you pray to the Father in secret, your Father hears in secret. You might not move your lips. You might not say it out loud. But what you pray to the Lord, the Lord hears. Isn't that a blessing? That's what we count on, that the Lord will hear. But that means that we have said something to God. And we need to keep that word. And there is an interesting little expression in this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Notice there in verse 6, it says, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? We're going to have a look over at Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7, please. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7. <clears throat> the word that's translated in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 6, angel, is translated a number of different ways in the Old Testament, but particularly it's either translated messenger or it's translated angel. And we know that angels are a form of messenger and an angel can be both a heavenly and an earthly messenger. It's used in both contexts. I think we saw that when we looked at the book of Revelation and the letters to the churches. But in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 7, we read this, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That word messenger there is the same word translated angel in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And so we're talking about a messenger that fits both with angelic hosts that come from God in heaven, as it does the messengers that God uses that are made of flesh and blood upon the earth to speak their word on God's behalf. And so this reference here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 6 is probably a reference to the person who is a delegate of the temple who comes around to collect the vows that have been made in the temple. When someone promises, I'm going to give this to the Lord, then someone comes to fulfill that promise. I'm here to collect the promise that you made before the Lord, the messenger. And Solomon's advice is in verse 6, Neither say thou before the angel, the messenger, that it was an error. When the person knocks on the door, hi, I'm here to collect the promise that you've made. Oh, sorry, I made a mistake. That's what Solomon's talking about. Don't say, oh, there was an error. Uh, oh, oh, it wasn't actually me. It was somebody else. We're lying in that instance. 
Don't say, I've changed my mind. I didn't really mean it. Well, if there's a promise that's been made, we need to fulfill it. Don't say before the debt collector that we've changed our mind. He goes on to say that despising our promises before God makes God angry. Verse 6 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? There may be consequences for the Lord's blessing on our lives if we break our word to him. Now, the simplest way of explaining this is that in James chapter 1, we saw that God's blessing was upon not the hearers of the word, but upon the doers. So if we don't do, we miss out on the blessing of God upon our lives. And this missing out on blessing is in another way of looking at is the destruction of the work of our hands. It's his will that we keep our vows and we miss out on that blessing. But this sort of conduct, lying to our Heavenly Father, or being people who don't keep our word, which is a reproachable offence, both in human terms and in divine terms, if God sees his children acting like this, it may be a cause for paternal discipline. It may be something where God says, I don't like to see my children behaving in this way. And so he tries to get our attention. The chastening of the Lord that's spoken about in the book of Hebrews. Wherefore, or why should God be angry at thy voice, the voice that made an empty promise, and destroy the work of thine hands, take away from you to help you come back and remember what you've said? We want the Lord's hand of good upon us, not the Lord's hand against us. And James chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, I'll just read these verses to you. It says, Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God resists the proud. And that word resist there is not just a puts up the fence, but it sets an army against. God works against someone who is proud. Rather than blessing, God actually challenges, works against someone who's in that, in that state. And we could certainly say that it is pride in thinking that we don't have to keep our promises to God. That's proud. God, I know I promised this to you, but I really don't have to keep that. That's a proud statement. And so we need to take our prayers seriously or God will resist us and then we have that really interesting little verse that um, preachers don't like to find these verses because they just seem to not fit but it says in ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 7 for in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities but fear thou god interesting thoughts in that verse <laughs> but what do they mean dreams i'm sure you've noticed are often nonsensical <laughs> Uh, they don't follow the natural laws of physics or reason. And they're often jumbled things. And it would be a truism to say that the more dreams we have, the more foolish content goes through our mind. The more dreams you have, the more ridiculous you have to think through them. 
And so it is with words. This is what I think Solomon's trying to get at. The more words we share, the more vanities we're likely to utter and to have to explain later on. So we have to be careful because the more words we speak, the more likely we are to say something foolish. And so be economical with prayer, be economical with vows. So based on what Solomon has taught us, he's told us that there's some warnings, some ways that we need to make sure that we guard the promises that we make towards God. A vow that is kept can be a wonderful thing. He talked to Brother Dave Kaufman about the vow that he made to the Lord and he's on the mission field. He talked to people when they decided, Lord, you've called me to do this thing, I'm going to do it. I remember back in 2002, the Lord convicted my heart about going to Bible college. And I said, Lord, I'm going to go to Bible college. And I went to Bible college and it was a blessing. A fulfilled vow is a wonderful thing. But be careful what you pray and promise before the Lord. Because an unfulfilled vow is a sinful thing. The big idea behind Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if we can just zoom out for a moment and take what we said about worship, what we said about prayer, and now what we've said about vows, if we can look at it all together. The big idea behind this passage is that God is present in our worship. God is there. Therefore, when you go to church, be ready to listen because God is there speaking. When you go to prayer, be ready to guard your words because God is listening to everything you say when you pray. And when you make promises before the Lord, when you're praying and when the Lord's worked in your heart, be careful what you say because God is listening to what you've got to say. It's a warning with a blessing, isn't it? God is listening. God is there. But because of that, be sober. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. What a great promise. Great promise. It turns a building full of people in Tormina into a gathering with Christ. But it should also have a sobering effect on how we approach worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the reminder uh, that you are ever near. Lord, that you listen to the words that we share. Uh, we know, Lord, that sometimes we might feel that our cries are empty. But help us as a result not to make foolish promises. Help us not to feel like you're not listening, so we need to say more foolish things. Help us to be willing to fulfill everything that we promise before you, Lord. And I thank you for those in the scriptures who gave the examples of doing that and being blessed. Father, we pray and ask, Lord, that you would help us to approach our worship, whether it's here or wherever, with soberness. And I pray that you would help us to remember the blessing that you are here with us. Father, we thank you for our time and we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.